It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Hello, listeners' ears, and welcome to this week's edition of the UK Tech Weekly Podcast, back once again like a renegade master and brought to you by the editors of PC Advisor, Tech World, Macworld UK, and Computer World UK. Each and every week, we huddle up in our audio carbuncle in order to bring you no more than 40 minutes of informed discussion on the hot tech topics of the past seven days. We're coming in your ears courtesy of the kindness of Audio Technica, who are good enough to provide the mics on which you hear our sweet, sweet tones. I'm Matt Egan, Editorial Director of IDG UK, and today I am delighted to be joined in discussion by the bearded Chris Martin, Consumer Tech Editor of PC Advisor. Hello. The formerly somewhat bearded David Price, acting editor of Macworld UK. Alright. And the never knowingly bearded Mr. Scott Carey, online editor of Techworld. Good morning, guys. Morning. 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 So this week we're going to be discussing MWC and the FBI before taking a break from our acronyms to talk a little bit about challenger banks and disruption in the financial services industry. So strap yourself in, it's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> So, Chris, I believe this weekend you're going to be flying off to uh, Barcelona to uh, report from MWC. Uh, can you explain a little bit for our listeners what MWC is and, and why it matters? Yeah, sure. So, MWC stands for Mobile World Congress. It happens in Barcelona every end of February slash beginning of March. Uh, and it's one of the kind of three big uh, tech shows of the, uh, of the yearly calendar. Uh, and as the name suggests, it's focused on mobile tech. So we're talking phones, tablets, and these days, many, many smartwatches and other things like VR headsets. And specifically this time, this year, 2016, what should we be looking out for? What's exciting about MWC? So, yeah, we're flying out on Sunday morning. Uh, so nice early one for the weekend. That's pretty um, exciting. Yep. <laughs> Much earlier than I would normally get up on a Sunday, but... Um, on Sunday, we'll be heading to various press conferences ahead of the show, which starts on Monday. Um, so that includes Huawei, LG and Samsung in that order, although uh, uh, Huawei and LG are the exact same time. So listeners uh, and viewers are going to have to choose which one they want to tune into there. Um, and then Sony's press conferences on Monday at the show. Um, so Huawei, we think, is going to be announcing the P9, which is their new flagship. Uh, and there's going to be possibly some kind of laptop device from them, which would be uh, a bit unusual. Mm. Um, LG is uh, has already said that it's going to be LG G5 Day, so that's their new flagship phone, uh, which will then compete with the Galaxy S7, which is kind of heralded as the star of the show at the moment. 
So it'd be fair to say that the that Samsung's Galaxy S7 is the phone that most people are interested in right now. It has got a lot of hype and interest um, and a lot of leaked information over the last few weeks and months. Um, and But unfortunately, looking pretty similar to the Galaxy S6 at the moment, there was uh, rumoured to be up to four models of the S7, but it looks like we're just getting to two, which would be the regular model and the Edge version, and they look pretty similar to the S6 and the S6 Edge. So the, the Edge being the, the sort of wraparound screen version yeah. of the, the normal flagship. Yeah, so it's got a dual-edge screen, as Samsung calls it, which basically means the sides uh, yeah, head towards the back of the phone, if you like, and you can do little things like swipe in from the side to get your contacts and shortcuts to apps. It doesn't do a great deal, um, but people seem to like it. <laughs> looks pretty cool. looks different. <laughs> it does look very nice, but functionality-wise is a bit disappointing. So maybe they'll have added some software things so yeah. it does more, even though the technology on the hardware side is the same, we'll we have to see. I mean, one of the things that I think, uh, you, you know, there are so many numbers now. You've got the P9, yeah. the G5, yeah. and the S7. Yeah. And uh, I noticed David sitting over looking mildly smug as a, as a Macworld guy. But, <laughs> not uh, smug at all, definitely but, not. But Apple did start this. This, this idea yeah. of every year we essentially, uh, iteratively update our product and we call it a new product which is just, you know it's very good as a marketing thing but it it's not like every time Dell adds a bit of RAM to a laptop they rebrand it as a no. new product no it is a completely different world it seems and the refresh cycle is very quick Sony has been doing even six month cycles or they appear to have stopped doing that so it doesn't look like we'll be getting a new phone from Sam, uh, from Sony sorry, uh, in terms of the Xperia Z6 but it looks like we'll get a tablet which normally happens at every MWC Sure. so hopefully from Sony we'll be getting some tablets multiple so far they've only done one at a time but it'd be nice to have a couple of different sizes at least so come on guys are you excited about MWC are you excited about new smartphones I can't say it's blowing me away I guess I guess the thing must be trying to stand out from the crowd at an event like this, where there's so many people doing so many similar things. Yeah. Is there a sort of a tend towards gimmicks? This thing about the edge uh, screen. It is nice say, if you see it in the flesh. And, and actually, yeah. the Galaxy S6 Edge has yeah. proven to be a huge success, hasn't it? Because it does. But you're right; it it's is. like differentiation. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about, and I hate to shoehorn Apple into everything <laughs> I talk about, but. Um, Apple doesn't go to things like this at all. It has no. its own events. And I do wonder, what's the advantage of cramming yourself in with everybody else, um, struggling for recognition, rather than having your own individual event to announce them? It's, I mean, it's a good yeah. question, because we see the same thing. So, and Apple's not entirely immune to this, right? Because Apple will launch its iPhone around IFA, just before IFA, to essentially, in August, right. uh, September time, to essentially scupper other people, but also to, to benefit from the heightened interest, I guess. And everyone's got a different approach, I would say. It's just my personal opinion. But Samsung is going to kill the show, basically. It's going to be the biggest um, uh, device. So then the likes of LG and particularly Huawei. And by the way, Chris, excellent pronunciation of Huawei. We're going to talk about <laughs> Xiaomi soon. Good. Well, not. It's just I just wanted to pronounce that. But uh, <laughs> but Samsung you know, but benefits from the other products clustering around it because it creates more interest in overall and then the rest of them lg uh those those guys are kind of um attempting to ride the coattails a little bit i mean it's a bit like the order in which they go is is always quite interesting yeah so it's a bit different with ces there is a press day where there is from like eight in the morning till five at night there is press conference after press conference 
with like a 15 minute gap mm. whereas these are their own events like they're not part of MWC they're just to coincide with MWC yeah. that's so, fringe so because they're on Sunday the show actually starts on Monday whereas LG Samsung they've booked these completely separate venues but to, in Barcelona but just they the happen to yeah, be in Barcelona they know everyone's there yeah. yeah so they're announcing the phones of whatever they announce then the show starts the following day only Sony's doing it at the show on their stand so yeah, it's 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 interesting trying to compete. LG doesn't normally do this. Actually, they normally have a separate event, like you say. But around like the Apple, same time of year, isn't it? It's usually. like yeah, it's normally May. So this yeah. is happening a little bit early. But to me, that says they've got something a bit more interesting to show. Yeah, I think it's significant that MWC itself is at this time of year as well, because we know yeah. from looking at web traffic and from looking at sales of products and all of those things that actually this is a pretty dead time of year. So there's a real benefit to all of them to creating this level of interest because they are a series of upgrades. They're not brand new products, really, but it's really exciting to get people to get all those early adopters who will spend extra money on the latest flagship to create a bit of interest and to create a bit of drive into the rest of the year, actually, because what happens now is people will decide what upgrade they're going to get, even if they don't get it now. So the benefit to your question, David, I think is kind of collectively creating interest where people aren't really buying stuff in February. Everyone's skinned. Yeah, I know I am. So the question I wanted to ask really is to do with, you know, like smartphones have been fantastically uh, exciting to tech fans for a while. But a phrase you've used before, Chris, is peak smartphone. Uh, and, And are we at peak smartphone? Yeah, I think, I mean, I wrote a blog probably more than a year, year and a half ago, maybe even two years, like saying, have we hit a ceiling when it comes to the tech? And I think in a lot of respects, yes, we have. The The screens are significantly high-res enough, like the the Sony Xperia Premium, uh, Z5 Premium, uh, is 4K, but it just really doesn't need to be on a screen that's yeah. lower than 6-inch. I mean, even yeah, the TVs... Yeah, the human eye has a limit to how much yeah, it can... Even the TVs benefit. we've seen that, like... Propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> even the TVs we've seen that are 4K that are smaller than you know 40 inches almost like what's the point mm, yeah. so on a phone it just seems ridiculous yeah. but it doesn't look like at the moment lg or samsung are going to go down that route yeah. it seems like sony just did it for a kind of well, it gets you we've, headline, we've done it? the first yeah world's first they like they like the world first title on their devices so i'll um, give you my uh ultra high definition uh anecdote which is my work phone is an lg g3 possibly four three four, four. Four, yeah, yeah LG Four, uh, which has an extremely high resolution screen. It's a beautiful screen. It's noticeably better than the screen of any other smartphone I've used. I broke it recently and borrowed a, a Moto G, a hundred pound phone, for uh, just to tide me over. I've had the LG G Four back for several weeks and I haven't swapped back over because the Moto G's battery life is so much better. And that's that's a fact. That's yeah. a combination of factors. But the, the reality is, without even thinking about it, I'm just happier using on the face of it a crappier phone because it's a little bit more robust as well but it just lasts more than a day on on charge and that's more important to me it transforms. this is the one everything has hit a bit of a ceiling screens cameras even the processors are powerful enough to do kind of console almost console level gaming and the only thing that really hasn't had a big breakthrough is the battery tech yeah which when it comes will be a massive deal yeah but it's just, when is it going to come? We don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, I was reading a piece the other day about how Moore's Law is levelling out now as well. Um, and, was, and you say about always, the tech. That was always an artificial construction anyway. They've yeah. now acknowledged this. Yeah, so exactly. They were actually deliberately doing it to keep up with what he predicted. What yeah. is Moore's Law? Explain Moore's Law for the, uh, for the listener. Uh, it is, oh, I might not know the numbers now. I think every 18 months, they... Um, yeah, processor um, capacity doubles, essentially. Exactly, they predicted this would happen. And <clears throat> it's now been revealed that they have actually, the processor companies have been consciously um, planning their developments in order to coincide with that. Although the fact that they're able to do that, obviously, yeah. is is a sort of, of indication of it. Anyway. So, so yeah. to Scott's point, like overall, what it means is uh, things should get twice as fast every 18 months. And I guess the point is that that's no longer necessarily the case. No, and the things that seem to be slowing us down are developments in battery um, technology yeah. and in the um, network, the internet networks themselves, so 5G. Sure. And these are things that that the mobile phone makers can't do themselves. You know, they have to wait for the network to catch up and yeah. they have to wait for the battery technology to catch up. So they're sort of trying to make incremental changes and then blow them up in the press. So, yeah, it's an interesting sort of development and, and that's probably why the changes that you see at these things are, are smaller than yeah. you're used to although the market doesn't seem to have slowed down at all no. the the, uh, the upgrade cycle as you say chris if anything is getting quicker anything else we should expect to see and you see that there's some vr products maybe definitely i'm not the expert on vr lewis is our resident vr expert but we definitely will be seeing lots of vr stuff it's going to be 2016 is really going to be the kickoff year for vr they Which always say that though, don't <laughs> No, but yeah, this year it has finally come. I there think. are actual like, products these days, at least. Whether mm, there's the because we're the getting games to the stuff. point where you will be able to go buy consumer products of the VR headsets. I we mean, had you the same thing three D, didn't we? I think there was ones. a there was a CES a few years back when they said it was going to be all about three D, and then it just never took off. Three well, D. I mean, the problem with three D is three D is in and of itself a bit crap. Mm. I mean, it's just kind of like it's not as good an experience as two D. And, and I so, think the same is true of virtual reality. Possibly, yeah, but but virtual reality at least isn't like an additional product category, if you like. You know, if you're a gamer, it's adding a a different experience to it. It may well be a complete chimera as those things are. I mean, the same the same um, uh, economic forces are at play is getting people to buy new hardware in order to then buy new versions of games they've played before, but. You know, and let's face it, reality itself is awful. So, some kind of improved virtual. <laughs> let's try and make it virtual. Um, I want to know if you actually look forward to going to something like MWC because everyone <laughs> that I speak to seems to approach it with a combination of fear and loathing. Um, so, is it something that is fun to do, or is it just exhausting? Uh, it's both, really. MWC is my favourite out of CES, MWC, and IFA. Mostly because the show is quite compact, so from <laughs> yeah. our point of view, I can get from the press room to a stand and see something and back. The listener's not, heart in, is bleeding in, right now. In not very, you know, long. Is that Whereas, also because it's not in Vegas? Does that help? <laughs> from a personal point of view, yeah, Vegas isn't entirely my point. Like, isn't really my Bad. kind of thing. But you don't trust yourself in Vegas. <laughs> it's not that. Um, what about sharing an apartment with your colleagues for a week? That's pretty fun yeah i mean that's know. what we do anyway yeah. I, should, I should point out to the listeners that we all live in a, a, a large apartment <laughs> so uh, that seems fine okay good well i think we've uh, sufficiently covered the entire mobile market and mwc so yeah. uh, we'll take a short break and then we'll move on when we talk about guess what apple that was a short break 
So, David Scott, one of the big stories this week has been uh, Apple and its dealings with the feds. So, uh, David, maybe you could explain what's going on with Apple and the FBI. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, the FBI have got hold of the um, iPhone 5C, which belonged to um, Saeed Rizwan Farouk, who was one of the shooters uh, in the San Bernardino um, massacre. I don't know if that's... Couldn't afford a better phone? Uh, <laughs> not to joke about uh, uh, anyway, the fact that it's a 5C is actually significant because this means it has slightly weaker uh, encryption measures built into it. Sure. And the FBI, um, who have so far been um, baffled by the uh, the passcode on the phone, would like Apple to um, break into it for them. And a court order has now been uh, set up to uh, to require this. And Apple are pushing back. Uh, Tim Cook has published an open letter saying that they will not comply with this um, and they think it sets a dangerous precedent. Um, and they've said that it would be a backdoor into iPhones and it would compromise the security of iPhone owners around the world. So this is this is a good thing, really. We, we we broadly speaking agree with Apple's stance on this, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. I think you you can't set a precedent where you can give security uh, agencies the power to break into absolutely anything they want. And you know, this sounds like Android users could be smug, but actually, once you start breaking open the tech behind um, the Apple phone, you can start breaking into anything yeah. um, that it runs. So um, I, I read Tim Cook saying the other day that it would be like giving them a master key to every bank, shop and building in the city. And if they were to give over the encryption key for the older iPhones, it would be able to break into all of those um, sources as well. So, yeah, it's very it's dangerous. And I can see why all the tech companies are saying that we should keep that locked up and keep uh, people's privacy intact. It is interesting, though. We say that all the tech companies are agreeing with them. There was a bit of a, a lull of silence first. Yes, Which I was. sense was them sort of feeling out the ground. We had this thing where Edward Snowden, um, we were talking about this before, it's a, it's a really strange combination of people that have got involved in this. <clears throat> Edward Snowden came out and said um, that this is a really terrible thing, what the FBI are trying to do, um, and that there's been this silence from Google, which is which he takes as them taking the side of, he said they're not on the people's side because they've been silent. And then I think about seven hours later, Sundar Pichai pops up and says, no, no, we, we agree with Apple and we support them. Um, yeah. And now we've also seen WhatsApp, yeah, uh, WhatsApp. which is interesting because these are companies who um, are accused often of their business models actually invading people's privacy, although it's all above board and, and at least in principle knowing on behalf of the end user. Uh, but it's, it's, it, it is an interesting <laughs> coalition of uh, tech companies that have at least finally uh, queued up to... To pay lip service to the concept of privacy. Sure. There's Whereas, no, 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 no. There's no surprise that WhatsApp have come out in support, though. When you know about their background as a company, it's a Ukrainian guy who um, grew up with dealing with secret police. He was always very. Um, he... A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Always develop products that he wanted to keep private, keep messages private. It's sure. been built into the DNA of WhatsApp. He's always been on the side of but keeping things end-to-end encrypted. now owned by Facebook? Yes. <laughs> but it's bred into Somewhat the DNA. Somewhat undermines that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that and he, yeah, he in particular has come out and said that um, Apple shouldn't give up the encryption key can apple not just i don't really know about this but can apple not just take the device basically pull the information that the fbi want off it and then give it to them no no no, no, no. the way the way they have to do it is they have to create um, a new bespoke piece of software effectively a substitute operating system which they will then install on this phone and that will have had all of the security me- uh, measures stripped off it so that the two main ones are the fact that it potentially could erase itself if you get the passcode wrong 10 times in a row um, and there are also delays built in so if you get the passcode wrong six times in a row then it locks the phone for a minute before you can try again because the um, and this is sort of shockingly low tech but the FBI's plan to uh, break in is to use brute force they want to yeah. try all the passcode measures and you can do that in a sort of computerized way which does it really quickly instead they'll be delayed and it will take I think they measured it as either three and a half or four and a half years to try all the passcodes. What I really want to know is whether as soon as the FBI got the phone, they did try one, two, three, four, <laughs> just to see if they could get You've it. You've got to really, haven't You've you? got to give it a go, haven't you? If you've got so. ten goes, that's your first one locked yeah, up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I find it terrifying that your phone can be mobily, mobily wiped after ten attempts. Surely, after you've had a few drinks, you can get towards ten quite easily. That's why I've never... Um, had a few drinks. <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm this is not correct. But yeah, but this is this is something that you have to um, opt into. So yeah. it's automatically set up so that after six it will have a delay. Um, but the erasing thing, fortunately, is something you have to choose to have on if you were. You say it's because because I've uh, in the dim and distant past when I had an iPhone, I definitely locked it, but it could be unlocked. Yeah, I just yeah, had totally. to go through a series of. Uh, it wasn't quite that catastrophic. Yeah. So, but uh, so this is great. Kudos to Apple. Slightly less kudos, but kudos to all the other companies that have slowly queued it behind it. Yeah, we want to say that Microsoft came out today Microsoft, as well and made yeah. a statement um, backing it. We'll see if their CEO, actually, uh, Satya Nadella, actually comes out and personally says it. But yeah, they made a company-wide statement. But haven't they all caved before? I mean, isn't this the whole, um, uh, you know, the whole Edward Snowden thing? Is that all of these tech companies have in the past passed on data to the US and the UK uh, spooks? They have, um, yeah. And so Apple, has, what's, Apple what's has acknowledged that they have 
complied um, in areas where they feel it is appropriate, yeah. where, where it is, you know, legal. Um, but what's different in this case is the fact that they have to hack past their own yeah, security yeah, yeah, measures. They've yeah. always said if if they can do it without doing that, so, then they will. So they'll but, pass on the information. And this is this is not just Apple. This is, this is certainly Google. Uh, I think Microsoft as well. They've passed on information when requested by the governments uh, under which under whose aegis they operate. Yeah. Uh, when requested by the security forces, they've passed on, in principle at least, anonymized data they've got about users, which is why we see. You know all, all this, uh, all these spooks, as I say, going through people's information in order to find, in principle, terrorists. Yeah, but I, I don't think it would be uh, fair to say that all the companies are equal. Yeah. On this one, Google has been, and you know, this is, you know, go and go and look look up the uh, the fact yourself, make your own decision because it Google is it. it is subjective. <laughs> yeah. But um, they by multiple sources they have been named as. Um, the the most privacy hostile technology company of any of the major companies, um, they they comply on a far more regular basis. So I, I think it's you know it's fair to say that Apple occasionally um, comply with these sort of orders. Google persistently do around the world, often um, with regimes that we not would not necessarily approve of personally. Um, the current UK government, <laughs> of course. No. Um, but uh, you know Google have supported this, but I will not believe it. Until they do something, if they, you know they they um, put their money where their mouth is, as Apple have now done. Well, for some people, this is a key decision maker when they're choosing between iPhone and Android. Yep. I, yes, I I don't I don't know about that to be honest. Well, I would think. I mean, I I think if you are uh, well, there's that saying, isn't there? If you're not paying for the product, you are the product. And Google's whole business model, uh, from which we all benefit, incidentally, professionally. Um, but is uh, is to do with harvesting information about people anonymously and then using that information to deliver advertising, essentially. Uh, and some people feel uncomfortable with that, and it is indisputably the case that Apple's business model is more to do with selling products to people, and therefore, in principle at least, your information is more secure, which I guess is supported by this particular yeah. uh, instance. That was basically my point, just that I, I know people that deliberately use iPhone for the the privacy yeah. benefits whereas i personally use android because i don't mind giving that information up because i get a lot in return yeah, yeah. and you are very very much in the majority i th- yeah. i think as a society we have pretty much given up on the idea of privacy i think we talk about privacy and we we don't like the idea of giving it up yeah. in, in sort of uh, in abstract but when it comes down to it, we always sign up for these things we sign up for facebook if it gives us a free product yeah you know, Facebook and LinkedIn are, are really interesting examples, aren't they? Because we're we're overtly pushing information at those uh, those companies, which they then monetize. That's the whole deal. It's why it's why Facebook's ultimately more successful than Twitter because it has a more rounded uh, grasp of who you are and is able then to deliver advertising in a more effective manner. I wonder if the there's a difference to be drawn between privacy in general and specific areas of privacy i think we'd all feel uncomfortable with sharing say medical data whereas my name photos of me uh, date of birth i'm reasonably comfortable with but then i don't put pictures of my daughter on facebook which you know some people do and that's you know lots just, of people do yes they do <laughs> i do put some pictures on there but like for instance you know certainly when, not when she was newborn and, and we would we sort of ration it a little bit but then we do share them with family on whatsapp so you know, that's more to do with general public seeing things than it is to do with worrying about sharing that data with 
a third party. Well, they use Apple's photo stream yeah. to share pictures of my kid with uh, with the grandparents. So there you go, Apple. More trust. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Okay, great. So what we're saying is trust Apple, don't trust anyone else. Agreed? <laughs> Done. Fairly. Okay, we're going to move on shortly to talk about something called Challenger Bank. So we'll see you on the other side of this. Good. Okay. <clears throat> so, Scott, this week you've been looking at something called Challenger Banks. What the hell is a Challenger Bank? Glad you asked. Um, yeah, I've become mildly fascinated by the concept of a Challenger Bank, and um, it's quite a broad term, so I'll, I'll just try and as succinctly as possible explain it. Basically, after the financial crash in 2008-09, um, the EU changed the process and requirements to set up a bank. They made it a lot easier. They reduced the capital requirements from 100 million to a lot more of a manageable figure, um, who, um, which is proving difficult to get, but it's definitely a hell of a lot lower than 100 million. And also the uh, licensing process now takes about two years. Right. And it's in a two-step, quite uh, transparent process. So it's basically opening up the banking sector to new competitors so a lot of people have been jumping in um you had the first set of banks such as metro bank who you might have seen on the high sure. street um the ones that i'm very interested in are the guys that are digital only so they yeah. wouldn't have a branch yeah. um and they are basically offering banking services solely through your mobile right um and these guys uh, generally in the uk are atom bank uh, mondo bank and starling the only of the three that actually have a license to offer banking products at the moment is atom Mondo are very close and Starling a little bit further behind. Um, in Germany, this actually is a little bit further along and there's a bank called Fidor who are doing very well um, in the German market and they're actually looking to expand into the UK market. Sure. Um, so what these guys do is they're trying to bring banking to your mobile like an Uber or a Facebook or basically what um, Tom Blomfield, who is uh, the head of Mondo Bank, says he wants it to be... The, one of those home page apps that sure. you use all the time. And what they'll do here will give you a full um, showing of where your money's going, what's going out, what's coming in all the time. It'll use the security measures on the phone so you don't have to keep logging into your mobile banking all the time, which is very irritating. Um, you won't have to pay for uh, financial exchange when you go abroad. And um, yeah, basically your current account will just live on your phone and you can do everything there. And presumably, in much the same way as you know, you mentioned Uber. We always talk about Uber, but a company that's d disrupted yeah. a very staid industry. Um, one of the biggest costs to banks, I presume, is real estate. Yeah, all of these huge high street uh, shop fronts that are extremely expensive. So presumably, if these banks from the ground up are, are designed in this lean way, it should be what cheaper or, or they should be able yeah, to so rates. they're going to save a huge amount on real estate and they're also going to save a huge amount on it yeah. the banks have these huge great big sprawling it networks and um these guys can build it in a very lean way mondo actually are the only one to my knowledge that are building all of their banking software from scratch all right so they're building uh full stack they call it and that means that they can build it as lean as they want yeah Atom Bank are actually building theirs off the back of um, a commodity software called FIS, so you can build a bank off the back of that quite right. quickly and easily. And they say that the advantage to that is that they can differentiate themselves with the front end. They can make the app very nice, and they can just base it off the software. And then all the middleware is the stuff where it gets interesting, where they can start connecting yeah. in other services. 
Um, Mondo disagree. They say that it needs to be full stack if it's actually going to ever differentiate itself from the established banks. Sure. And they're, they're presuming that what they're going to compete on convenience and rates and Yeah, and so they'll, they'll save some costs. So you'll get slightly better rates on your overdraft options. Um, and oh, yeah. Mondo Bank are only offering current accounts and overdrafts. Right. Um, whereas Atom Bank are going to offer a full range. So they're going to offer mortgages. Right. Um, and uh, savings and business services and things like that. Okay. Um, that's where maybe they're being based off the off a set established yep. um, product helps them offer those sort of services. Problem is, if you want to get a mortgage, you have to talk to an advisor yep. by law, and that sort of defeats the idea of being yeah, able yeah. to do everything through an app. Um, so they're going to bypass that by going through brokers and linking every, all of these services come back into the app, and you can see everything. Um, through that platform so it's trying to bring banking to the way that you do other things on your phone now that is such a classic thing of, of where law is behind tech isn't it this idea that because i'm sure we've all been through the process where you go and speak to a broker and all they do is log into a, a web interface and find whatever's available on the market but you have to speak to that human being to do that which is on by any standards a ludicrous situation i mean i, I also find it easier to trust a company that has a shop front and a person. Sure. Yes. I, I, I'm, I'm very behind the times in this respect. No, no, no. So trust is a huge, huge issue when it comes to challenger banks because it's all well and good in yep. trusting um, your taxi services to someone like Uber or entrusting your information to Facebook, as we were saying earlier. But when it comes to your hard-earned cash, it can be a lot harder to trust a new boy on the block. Um, what they're trying to do in this sense is be as transparent as possible. Um, these banks are very open about where your money comes from, where it goes, um, how you're using it. Um, they open up the data. Basically, they've got these blogs where they show you all of their working, how they're going through the licensing process. Sure. Um, and that is hopefully going to build trust. Um, also, they just need to make sure they get it right. Yeah. Um, as long as nothing goes wrong and people start investing their money and bringing their money to these banks, they might be able to develop that trust. It took a while to develop trust in uh, online banking. Yeah. You know, and I still know people who don't. And I've, I have one friend who when he was putting his deposit in for his house, carried £20,000 worth of cash across London, <laughs> which tells you how long ago it was that it was £20,000. Yeah. But, you know, that, that, that's a, I guess that's a marketing and PR challenge. I should also yeah. say that nobody around this table has earned any cash in a hard-earned way, <laughs> certainly not recently. Um, also, these, um, these banks have the advantage of not being tarred with the financial yeah. crash. So yeah. they um, have a level of trust there in terms of the fact that they haven't got that history of... Um, causing all the um, sort of financial problems that, that led up to the crash. Yeah, But I would feel like a really big uh, bank is going to get bailed out by a government more readily than a small upstart. And that might not be true at all. But... Yeah, I mean, you know, too big to fail is, is a thing. Yeah. The, the thing with these banks is that they're so lean and they're operating on such a low capital base that they should be pretty geared up to not going under they're not going to overstretch themselves well, in terms of the not, products they offer they're not casino banks either are they? No. so 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 they're all they're doing is if they're just doing your checking and balance essentially they're not exposed in the same way um it's, it's highly unlikely that everybody who's well in principle what they should do is have as many as much money loaned out as they're taking in 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 savings yeah and also when it comes back to the trust thing um i was when i was talking to tom at mondo bank he was saying that he doesn't want you to get married on the first date it, it's such yeah. a it's yeah. it's it's so a platform you, you where you can account. go in you get yeah. one account you can put 50 pounds on it 
I have to say it's still in beta, but eventually, um, yeah, you can just put £50 in, see how the product works on your phone, yeah. see if you like it, maybe take your 50 quid abroad and see how that um, yeah. process works. They say your card's never going to get blocked, you're not going to get charged any fees when you're abroad, stuff like that. So, yeah, you can just give it a go and then hopefully they want to just build up people's trust in the product over sure. time. It seems like probably their biggest, one of their biggest barriers is getting all of this across to the consumer. Yeah, yeah. Because even the existing set of banks... Uh, all fighting to to make you move with but you know you join we'll give you 100 quid we'll give you 150 quid yeah and it's it's really easy now like with the you know the the current account switch thing that's been set up it does it all automatically within seven days yeah that's you, what you, they're saying you can basically switch banks every few weeks and earn, earn money but nobody can be bothered yeah, really no. we I don't mean, change banks do we, we nobody does it 18. There needs to I've be been with really... the same bank since I was yeah, 12 or 13, since I had like a junior account. And I know that I should change to get better deals, but I can't be bothered. Yeah, they're, they're trying to make it as easy as possible to switch. And what they're trying to do essentially is offer a product that, that makes you want to change. It's that yeah. much better yeah. than all the others. It might well be that sort of thing as well, where when you see somebody else using their smartphone yeah. in this way, that's what sells it. Because you're like, oh, that's better than having to go and queue up in the bank or having to get on a call centre to someone for ages in order to get anything done. Uh, and that takes time, but it doesn't take quite as long as you think, you know, when it starts uh, getting the No, and that's exactly what they're trying to do in terms of their marketing and the way they're... And are they going to have decent-sized marketing budgets, do you think? Are they going to plough a lot of money into getting the message across? So this is one thing where it becomes quite different to a normal startup in the fact that they are well-funded. Mondo Bank is, um, has been funded to the tune of £8 million so far. Um, but the problem is they do need to raise a certain amount of capital to yeah. launch. It's to not 100 million, but they yeah. just to be a bank and to start lending, they need to have a base mm. of possibly about 20 million to start and maybe about 60 million within their second year um, to get their full license. So that really does eat into their marketing yeah. budget. But as you said, Matt, where it comes down to it is, is word of mouth. They want to get basically Mondo are giving out lots of free trials to get people on the platform and then yeah. they want people to start tweeting about it, start talking about it and how great a product it is. Um, and that is free. If I, they can I would speculate as well that at least part of the plan for the founders is to get bought by one of the bricks and mortar. Yeah, this is bricks. what one of my colleagues was saying the other day and it, it's quite a cynical view, but it's definitely, uh, if you're going to build it from the ground up like Mondo are, there's definitely an idea yeah. there that you're building a product that could easily be sold on. Yeah, Facebook will probably buy one. Yeah, WhatsApp bank. We'd all, we'd all trust that, I think. Facebook buys everything. Maybe Apple could buy one. I'd prefer that. Okay, Apple like, bank? Yeah. Are we going to be able to walk up to a house in a few years and just tap on it and buy it? <laughs> <laughs> Not in the UK. <laughs> With your phone. I like it. Yeah, touch ID. Yeah. Good. Well, on that bombshell, I think we uh, can bring this conversation to to a halt thanks again for putting your ears through this listener without you we are just a bunch of guys talking about stuff <laughs> let's be honest with you we're also just a bunch of guys talking about stuff but do get in touch to let us know your thoughts and opinions and to shake us down for cash you can tweet us at UK Tech Podcast or email editor at idg.co.uk put podcast in the subject line we'll be back next week with more informed opinion on the hottest topics in tech courtesy of our good friends Audio Technica until then Say goodbye, guys. Bye-bye. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. 
With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 